0: Well, hi there it's great to be with you if you've got a bible do you want to turn to proverbs chapter 12 proverbs chapter 12 we're, we're in a series called wisdom for life and we're looking at what the bible has to say about all kinds of challenges we're facing at the moment and today we're going to be looking at the subject of anxiety of anxiety of how we handle how we fight anxiety we did a survey a few weeks back of about 200 leaders in the church a lot of people who are carrying leadership weight with us and many of you were there And thank you so much for the feedback you gave us. It really helped shape this series because one of the most common answers we got when we said, What do you think we should preach on in this season? was anxiety. Could you talk about how we strengthen our minds in the fight against daily anxiety in all that we're facing? And so today we're going to look at what we do with anxiety when it arises. And I want us to read a section from Proverbs chapter 12 and then we're going to draw in a couple of practical texts from the New Testament as well to help us with this. But let's read first from Proverbs chapter 12, beginning at verse 15.
1: The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of a fool proclaims folly. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labour. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbour, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death this is the word of
0: the Lord anxiety in a person's heart weighs them down but a good word makes them glad verse 25 anxiety is like a weight that drags you underwater it's like wearing iron shoes it's like you're going for a swim and you've just got massive iron shoes on and they're pulling you under anxiety does that in contrast to a good word which makes you buoyant makes you float And that's the contrast being set up in this proverb. And in my experience, the people who are most convinced of that are the people who struggle the most with anxiety. Have you found that? You really struggle with anxiety? Many of my friends really struggle with anxiety. It's a huge challenge. We might name it among the top one, two, three things we wrestle with in the Christian life. But we're often the people who are most aware of what a problem it is. And in that sense, anxiety is not like quite a lot of other things that we have to fight in the Christian life. It's not like lust or greed or pride when you have to convince people it's destructive. Nobody enjoys being anxious, right? You don't need to say, you need to stop being anxious. They go, oh, did I? I better change that. That's never what happens. No one likes being anxious. The more you worry, the more you wish you didn't. So I'm not going to give you all sorts of reasons why anxiety weighs you down because we know that already. And I'm not going to teach you how to make anxiety disappear either because I don't actually think it works like that, as we'll see. I want us to consider what we do with anxiety when it comes. I don't think I can give a key that makes it just disappear and you never worry again. I don't think it's like that. I think instead it's like something which, when it comes to you, you have a series of things that you can do with the anxiety rather than saying, I'm now going to fight this so it disappears forever from my life let me illustrate the, the difference between fighting anxiety and fighting many other things in the Christian life, right? Some of us get sick if we eat certain types of food, right? So we have allergies or intolerances. And the only way that we can stop eggs or nuts or gluten from seriously harming us or even killing us is to cut them out altogether, right? So when my daughter was a small baby she had was a violent egg allergy, and it was terrifying watching her response to egg, ambulance around the house, right, was, you thought, are, she, are we gonna lose her? Like, this is horrible to see, and many of you have seen or ex- experienced in your own life something like that. And the only way you cope with that kind of food problem is just cutting out the food altogether. And that's how we fight temptation in lots of areas, right? So we, you, we avoid pornography like a food allergy, right? You have to cut pornography out of your life. You have to get rid of it. The only way of avoiding being led into lust by pornography is not to go, oh, when I look at porn, I'll make sure I do this. That's not how it works. You get rid of it, right? You have to. It's like you are, it will destroy you. So you need to get it out of your life. That's how much of the time how we fight sin. But anxiety is not like that. You can't abstain from a particular sort of practice and find that anxiety disappears. Rather, anxiety creeps up on us when we are not expecting it. When we're weak, when we're vulnerable, when we're I even unaware that we were beginning to worry. Even Paul, who famously said, Don't be anxious about anything, Philippians 4 verse 6, admitted that one of the biggest challenges he had in ministry was, quote, My anxiety for all the churches. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Right? Paul does that. He says, You mustn't be anxious. But I struggle with it. And actually, therefore, what Paul does, as we'll see, is he teaches us, What do I do when it comes? That's the challenge, right? It's not, I'm going to cut it out like a food allergy. It's more like anxiety is like the the absence of something rather than the presence of something. And therefore, you handle it differently. It's more like what happened to me when I got my first full-time job, age whatever it was, 18 or 19. And I'm working through the summer. And I'm working in an office environment. And I just haven't done nine-to-fives before. And you'll laugh, you think. But you might have had this too when you first started working that... You are not used to the experience of somewhere around 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon i just got the most colossal sugar low and i but i didn't know what it was i'd never experienced it before and i'm just like I'm weak i'm dizzy i need to sit down i can am finding it's hard actually to get you know the breath and i'm like what's going on here and i went and spoke to somebody i said i just got this bizarre can you help me and they said oh yeah that happened to me when i first started work what you need is a banana I was like, what? That doesn't sound like a solution. He said, seriously, you've got a sugar low. You just, the wrong, kind, the, you, what you ate for lunch has basically given you a short-term sugar thing and now here you are and you just run out and so you need to carry with you in your working life, you need to carry a banana. You need to keep it in the drawer and then the next day you get a new banana, maybe a bar of chocolate instead, but a banana's healthier. So you need a banana at all times and then when you get that sugar low, you just pull out the banana and then you have your solution, right? You eat the banana and you'll be okay anxiety I think is more like a sugar low than like a food intolerance right there are things you can do to help prevent it but the main question is what's the banana what do I pull out when anxiety comes what am I what have I got as a weapon to stave this thing off when the iron shoes of anxiety weigh me down what's going to help me float right what weapon do I need to pull out of my pocket to fight it and there are three classic New Testament passages on anxiety. And each one of them gives us a banana, okay? So it's, here's three bananas in the fight against anxiety. When anxiety comes, it's not like a, an intolerance where you just chuck it out. Something where when it comes, and you might not even know it has, here's some things that you can pull out. And the first passage in the New Testament, which gives us a great banana, is, of course, Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6 well that should be a passage we may know well we remember jesus tells us don't worry but he also gives us some bananas some things to consider to fill our minds with instead and jesus the banana number one is really you need to think about some things here are some things i want you to think about when anxiety comes and they sound strange they sound like that's not very spiritual oh there is such power if we take him seriously here here's what jesus says: look at the birds of the air are not you of more value than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus is giving us bananas. He's saying, I want you to think, when you face worried about anxiety and anxiety comes for you, think, consider some of these things. Now, for years, I read those instructions. And I was like, yeah, 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 I get it. It's a bit like a flower. It's a bit like a bird. That doesn't actually help me with anxiety. But then one day, I actually considered the flowers, for instance. And I realized how much flowers, as Jesus said, had to teach me that would help me stave off anxiety. Jesus said, consider the lilies. They don't do much, do they? We've got lilies in our kitchen at the moment at home. I bought them for Rachel, and they just sit there, unstressed, unhurried. They don't toil, they don't spin, they don't do any work they have got incomparable beauty but it is not a beauty that they have earned it's a beauty that they have been given right they are the recipients of an incredible beauty and they don't even last very long until you chuck them out and yet jesus says there's not a human in history who's as beautiful as these but and if god is going to clothe them that way he's going to clothe you that way too isn't he so what are you worried about if the all of the gifts that god could give to that plant are going to be given to you as well what are you worried about now At that point, I have an answer for him. I say, I'll tell you what I'm worried about, Jesus. You tell me to look at the flowers, I'll look at the flowers, and I'll tell you what I'm worried about. I don't just want enough to wear. I accept that they get something to wear, and I have got something to wear too. Okay, fine, but that's not all I want. I don't just worry about clothes. I also worry about making sure that I've got the food that I enjoy or enough personal space or popularity or meaning or success or thriving children or healthy finances. I want lots of things that I don't know are going to happen. So have you got anything like that? Like Jesus, can you give, I mean, look at the flowers, but helps me with the clothes, but it doesn't necessarily help me with all of those other things, does it? So what else you got? And Jesus says, okay, consider the flowers. Consider the bluebells. Right? For 11 months of the year, the bluebells do nothing at all. And when May comes, they all burst out to play together and form a carpet of deep blue that summons people from the towns for miles around to come and gawk at how beautiful they are. But then they disappear again and they are not there for 11 months of the year. They're not perennials. They don't care. They grow in obscurity and then they enjoy their moment in the sun. Consider the bluebells. You're not eternal either. Can you get used to that idea? Can you enjoy the goodness of God when it comes and acknowledge that you don't live forever and that's okay? Consider the roses, he says. Dozens of flowers, I think, are at least as beautiful as roses, in my view, like orchids or dahlias or gerberas. But a lot of flowers are just as fragrant as well, like daffodils or tulips. What makes roses so special? Because a rose represents the love of the person who has given it. That's how roses become special. That's why people get them at Valentine's Day or for a wedding. The meaning and value of a rose comes from the giver of the rose. And it's exactly the same with you and me. You are, in that sense, just like a flower. You get your meaning and value not from what you are in yourself and how great you are, but from the love of the person who has given you to the world. The love of the person who's created and formed you is what defines your identity and your value, not how great you are in yourself. And if that's true of a rose how much more is it true of you consider the flowers consider the sweet peas right they don't aspire to be more than they are they don't look at the sunflowers and say but the sunflowers are so tall and they've got such thick stalks and massive yellow faces and they're so they get to live in the south of france and they get turned into oil and i wish i could do that sweet peas don't do that sweet peas don't look around what about them they don't see their value in relative terms at all They are happy with who they are. They're not aspiring to be somebody else. They're much happier like that. Consider the jade vine, right? You might think the jade vine is strange looking or irrelevant. It only lives in the Philippines and it gets pollinated by bats, bats, but God loves it. By worldly metrics, it's a loser, but it carries on flowering in oddness and obscurity, unnoticed and doesn't care. Hasn't God chosen the foolish things of the world, like the jade vine, to shame the wise? God has filled the world with flowers. We looked a few weeks back at dandelions as well. You imagine, as another picture of why, why humans don't need to worry. right? The blowball, which is so fragile, gets scattered into the air. But then it takes root and receives resurrection life. And it's almost impossible to remove from the ground. And it's like God has filled the world with flowers and with birds to show us, hey, if you can see how God has made these things, just reflect on them. Consider them. And you will find thoughts that displace the anxiety that is currently governing your life. Don't listen to yourself. Taunt yourself. Fill your mind with good things, birds, flowers, the mighty reassuring providence of God who is king over all of them. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. So the first banana that you get in the New Testament is consider. Right? Have a look at certain things God has made and they will point you to the providence of God and reassure you in the face of your anxiety. The second classic passage on anxiety, the second banana, comes in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Right? Philippians 4, verses 5 to 7. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in christ jesus now what i love about this passage and again you only notice this when you study how the whole letter works is that paul in this letter has already commended timothy for being anxious or concerned about the philippians right in other words he said timothy's wonderful I've got no one like him because he's so concerned or anxious. It's the same word as is used here in chapter four. He's so concerned for you. In other words, this is not a letter that's saying you should never feel the expression, the emotion of concern. It's not sinful to feel concerned about the well-being of others. That's a good thing in many ways at, at the right time. The question is: what are you going to do with that concern when it comes? Do you turn it over in your own mind, going round and round and round? Oh, this is concerning this is difficult it's making me anxious I'm worried I don't know what to do about this and I wonder how how is that what you do with your concern or do you take it to God in prayer and say Lord I am concerned about this and therefore I'm going to channel that concern into prayer you see the difference in the way that people cope with the worrying unsettling troubling circumstances of the present moment don't you I think some of us turn it in our own mind and can get turned in in extreme distress. And those of us I think who thrive at this point are those who of course have an appropriate level of concern, but they turn that concern to prayer because they know it's going to, actually gonna do some good. I Maybe mean, you had this uh, experience of, um, you know, the thing that they make you do as children where they say, hey, how many times can you fold a piece of paper before it becomes impossible to rip? You rip a piece of paper early on, you go straight through it, right? But when you've turned it over and over and over, and this is what worrying's like, turn it over in your mind you think about it a bit more and you think oh that is really bad and it's gonna be and you keep turning it over you keep turning it over again and again and again it eventually gets to a point where it's so thick you don't feel like you can rip through it at all and you never can and anxiety is like that anxiety in a way is what happens when you pray to yourself it's what happens as you begin to make yourself the potential solution of this concern that you are right to have when we pray to god what we do is we verbalize our anxiety we don't turn it over and over at all we say i'm going to take this straight to you i want you to rip it up because you're the only one who can oh what peace we often forfeit oh what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to god in prayer and so the banana that the apostle paul would give us say you need to pray right Jesus says you need to consider consider the lilies the birds. Paul says you need to pray and then the third banana we find in the New Testament to help us with this anxiety that weighs us down the third banana comes in 1 Peter 5 verses 6 and 7 humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you now, the word casting there only appears twice in the New Testament, right? Here and one other place. And the other place is the moment when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and people cast their cloaks onto the donkey so that the, Jesus can ride into Jerusalem on it. It's a beautiful picture. So what people do. They say, I'm going to take off my coat and I'm going to throw it onto you. And so you, donkey, carry the coat instead of me. That's what, that's what I'm asking you to do. And that's what we do with our anxieties when they come that's the banana that peter gives us what happens is these anxieties will come in and when they do you need to throw them onto jesus and say he's got to carry it instead of you you can't passively try to keep it yourself you've got to throw it over somebody else and say i don't want to carry this anymore i'm not strong enough now in practical terms that obviously overlaps with the second banana of prayer casting our anxieties onto god will always involve prayer but interestingly that's not what peter says it's what paul says it's not what peter says Peter doesn't say, pray to God, casting all of your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. He says, humble yourselves before God, casting all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. That sounds odd, and there's a risk of upsetting people with this, but I think it's true, so I have to say it anyway. Anxiety can be a form of pride right and we can worry because we're proud because we think we can fix it and actually there is something if you ever got lost and you won't look at the map you ever had that experience i have you sometimes it's so stupid even it doesn't cost me anything to turn on the sat nav on my phone but i still sometimes don't want to do it because i want to show that i can figure it out and anxiety's a bit like that sometimes Say, so i don't want to give this i'm not going to cast it onto god i'll sort it out thank you and peter said no You've got to humble yourself before God, and as you humble yourself, you realise you can't resolve it, and then you cast it onto him. So actually, the third banana we've been given, that of casting anxieties onto someone else, the third banana is that of humility. So actually, you've got to cast your anxieties in humility because you realise you are not capable of coping with this. And you need to throw your cares onto him so that he can throw his care over you. So we're given a number of different bananas, I guess, in the New Testament to help us. Because on their own, you might think that the words don't worry might not help very much. Most of us are not trying to worry. We're not trying to be anxious. But each time the New Testament addresses the subject of anxiety in any detail, it gives us something to do with our anxiety instead. Something We can pull out and say, "Ah, oh, anxiety's here. Wow, oh, I've been expecting you. This is what I'm going to do and so what we do at that point is we consider we fill our minds with the things that god has made and how far his providence and his sovereignty extend over everything we pray we turn our silent anxieties into verbalized prayers and present them to god and we cast we humble ourselves and cover him with our cares so that he can cover us with his care now remember These are bananas, they're not vaccines, right? They're not things that will mean that you never have to worry again. In some cases, we might have to use other tools as well, and we mustn't despise that or be ashamed of it. Some of us might need medical or therapeutic help or both to cope with our anxiety, and we shouldn't be ashamed of that any more than you'd be ashamed of taking paracetamol. obviously, you do need to check it out with doctors but the point is those things can supplement but in the end all of us are nevertheless going to need to do these and there is one tool that will always help even if it doesn't mean we're never anxious again and it's right back where we started in proverbs chapter 12 verse 25 listen to this again anxiety in a person's heart weighs them down but a good word makes them glad brothers and sisters When the iron shoes of anxiety are weighing you down, do not underestimate the power of a good word to make you rejoice. I sometimes, God willing, that's going to come through preaching. I pray it does. That's my prayer when I'm preaching to you today is that God will use the good word of God to make your heart glad. That's what I'm longing for. That's why I do what I do. But that's not the only place it'll come from. Sometimes, often, it'll come through the encouragement of a friend or a family member who will give you a good word at the right time and it'll make your heart glad and lift the cloud of anxiety from you. It'll make you float instead of being dragged down by the iron shoes of worry. That should raise the question for us at times i think who can i give a good word to today is there anybody here in anybody in this community anybody else watching this service now to whom i can give a good word that will make their heart glad it will always come of course through the best word of all which is the word of god in which the worst thing that you can imagine has already happened to jesus so that the best thing you can imagine will certainly happen to you That's that's something that's going to take the iron shoes and break them because that's something that's going to reassure your heart and make your heart glad because you know that no matter how bad what you're imagining, it's not as bad as what happened to him and no matter how good what you're daydreaming of, it's never going to be as good. No heart has conceived, nor mind could possibly think of, what God has prepared for those who love him. A good word makes us glad. And when anxiety weighs your heart down, the gospel of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ lift your heart up when the worries of man make you sink the words of God make you float Should we pray Should we ask God to help us pull out these bananas to destroy anxiety and our lives as and when it attacks us knowing it'll come back but when it does we're ready let's pray for God's grace and help I'm going to use a prayer that the anglicans use in their service i find it a really helpful prayer on this subject O god from whom all holy desires all good counsels and all just works proceed give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give that both our hearts might be set to obey your commandments and also that we being defended from the fear of our enemies may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of jesus christ our savior lighten our darkness we beseech you O lord and by your great mercy defend us from all the perils and dangers of this night for the love of your only son our savior jesus christ amen